is our third Wednesday in Mark chapter 9. And I promise you, unless Jesus returns, we will move through eventually Mark chapter 9. There is so much stuff in this, though, I think it is good to realize all the different layers of this, because each time we've gone through, we've gone through a different layer of it. The first time we went through Mark chapter 9, we focused on verses 1, really through 13, we talked about the transfiguration, where Jesus revealed his glory on this earth, and he was transformed. And we talked about mountaintop experiences, and how we love mountaintop experiences as a Christian, but the real growth happens in the valley shared that devotional from, with you from Oswald Chambers, which says you can't live on the mountaintop. You can experience things on the mountaintop. You can have mountaintop experiences. But really, you grow as a believer in the day in, day out, being in the valley. I, I tell you something I've just been chewing on a lot lately. And if you're like me, you have a tendency sometimes to skip over some of the genealogy things, like in the book of Genesis. Every word in the Bible is important. And there's this phrasing, and it's used to describe like Abraham's life, where it says the days of Abraham's years. And what a neat way to describe his life. His life is not talked about years. It's talked about as in days. We have this tendency to do this, like how old are you? Like, I'm 42, okay? I'm 42 years old. But yet, that really doesn't show that I also have 365 days in that year to really see what God is doing and moving. And I just encourage you, be careful. Careful of focusing on those mountaintop experiences of promotions and vacations and birthdays and holidays. There's a lot of days in the year where God is good and does good. So we talked about that two weeks ago. Last week we did verses 14 through 29, and we really focused on verse 29. This kind only comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. We talked about the importance of prayer, the importance of fasting, and spiritual warfare that we are in. I believe the typical Christian does not realize nor understand the spiritual battle we are in. Paul tells us that we are soldiers. He tells us to get our armor on. We are in a battle to not be ignorant of Satan's devices, and we need to understand the power of prayer and fasting when it comes to this. Now, we skipped over, though, 23. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's what we're going to talk about here tonight. So let's rewind the clock. Let's remind ourselves here, Jesus just got done being transfigured on the mountain. He's coming down off the mountain. He has Peter, James, and John with him. Saul, Elijah, Saul, Moses, this amazing time. As you come down off the mountain, there is demon-possessed kids waiting for you. Always remember that. If you have a great spiritual mountaintop experience, there's always going to be that battle at the bottom. And let's remind ourselves, verse 14, it says, When he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, says, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he is thrown both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And then Jesus goes ahead and cast out the demon there. I, I, what a great prayer in verse 24. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So let's talk about faith tonight. 
Faith is, is quite the fascinating understanding. I mean, it really is. Faith is one of those things that's kind of difficult to explain, and it's really kind of difficult to say this is the definition of it. I think the best definition of faith comes from the Bible itself. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Think of that description there for a second. Sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. If you can see it, it's not faith. We have this tendency spiritually to stop and say, well, if the Lord would just tell me what he's going to do, I would believe it firmly. Well, I would too. That's not faith. Faith is him not revealing the whole plan and you still are willing to go obey. I don't know how many times people have told me that if God really wants to make himself known to me, why doesn't he just appear to me and I would gladly believe, then that's no longer faith. The economy that God has set up is based on the economy of faith. That's what he wants to do. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. He wants to use this book. That's the economy that he chose us to use. Paul said we walk by faith, not by sight. So if you are constantly saying, Lord, I want to see, and when I see, I'll believe, God says you're never going to see because you're not believing. We say see and then believe. God says, no, 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 believe and then you'll see. So understand this concept of faith and how vitally important it is to have faith. We're going to be all over the New Testament here this morning, guys, or excuse me, this evening, so I hope you guys are ready to look at this stuff. Let's go to Hebrews, please, Hebrews chapter 11. We have to lay this foundation of faith where, where this man, this, this father is just praying, Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus is saying, if you believe, all things are possible. Okay, well, I, I want to believe, I want to believe all things are possible, so Lord, help our unbelief. Hebrews 11. Verse 1, we've already referenced. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, I'm not trying to get into apologetics tonight. I'm not. I don't believe it's wrong at all in any way whatsoever to bring in scientific evidence to show this idea that creation is, is real, this idea of a six-day creation. But you also have to remember the Bible says this in verse 3. It's by faith you believe these things happened. It's by faith you believe they happened. I want you to jump ahead, though, to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Really focus on verse 6 with me. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. I don't know about you. I am making the assumption tonight that you guys that are here tonight want to please God. You're here. You came. I'm assuming you want to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I don't know about you. I look at verse 6 and I say, Lord, I want to believe you. And I am promised in verse 6 that you reward me if I diligently seek you. This is a good deal. You want to reward me. And so therefore, I diligently seek you. When my boys were little, I could get them to do anything by the promise of a reward. Because they knew the rewards were good. As they've gotten older now, they want to make a deal. And they want it in writing. You know what I mean? It's just not the same. I believe that sometimes we're like that as a Christian. When I have childlike faith, if God says, James, go here, I go there. James, speak to him, I go speak to him. Now that I'm wiser and older, James, go do this. Sure, why? Tell me the plan first, Lord. What's going to happen? Man, I don't want to miss out on any rewards. 
And that's not like this selfish thing. I want the best that God has for me. And so I'm going to, verse 6, diligently seek him because I know I will be rewarded. I'm going to believe and I'm going to do this all in faith. We have to understand this foundation. Once we understand this foundation, now we can move on with talking about faith and the importance of this and the understanding of it. It is vital to please God to have faith. He rewards us for being people of faith. Faith is not being able to see it, so therefore if we see it, it's not faith. We have to understand everything back to even creation is faith. Once you get Hebrews 11 down, now we can move on and talk about the vitalness of faith in our life. Why can't God just do it? I mean, why why can't it just be I have faith? Have you ever thought about that? Because we, we see here, Lord, help my unbelief. We're going to get to it a little bit where they prayed in Luke 17, Lord, increase our faith. He can. There's many different gifts in the Bible, and one of the gifts given in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the gift of faith. That, that's an amazing gift to have, is the gift of faith. What does the gift of faith look like? Well, let's find an actual example of in practice. Can you go with me to Acts 16? He can give you supernatural faith. Acts 16. As we're going to Acts 16, let's talk about another example of what I believe is supernatural faith. How about Peter walking on water? Now, we taught on Peter walking on water a while ago, and we said we have a tendency to pick on Peter because Peter sunk also in water. But please remember, there's only been two people that have ever walked on water, and one was God. So Peter and Jesus are the only two people who have ever walked on water. I don't know about you, that is a pretty good crowd to be with. Peter had faith. Now granted, the faith fell apart when he saw the storm, the winds, and the waves. That's another teaching for another day. But he had faith. That's amazing. What about here in Luke 16? A little bit of background, verse 16. Now it happened as we, this would be Luke, Paul, and Silas, went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her master as much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now you guys know what happens next. But just, just I, here's the problem. Have you ever run into this? You've heard these stories so many times. Like, yeah, I know where this is going. Imagine hearing this story for the first time, and you have not read verse 25 yet, and you guys are already looking at verse 25, shame on you, but you haven't read verse 25 yet. So you have Paul and Silas, who are clothes ripped off, 22, beaten, 23, put in the most inner prison, feet fastened in stocks, and now you get to 25, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Folks, that's the gift of faith. That is a supernatural faith in a situation that doesn't make any sense. Now, I I don't want to add to the Bible. 
I wonder if we would go to Paul and Silas, rewind the clock, and say, hey, Paul and Silas, before this all happened, what would you guys do at midnight if you were beaten, stripped naked, and thrown in the most inner prison? Honest answer, they'd probably say, I don't know. But here they are, singing hymns. We like to do a lot of different things for devotions with the boys, just to keep things a little fresh. And every now and then we'll go back and we'll read like some of the Fox's Book of Martyrs or something along that type of line. And we got another book that we're working through, just kind of picking out stories to read about the church going on now and the imprisonments they're going through and the tortures and the beatings they're going through. And this one guy was arrested over in one of the communist nations, beaten, tortured, etc. And he had started a little Bible study in there. And he thought he was going to get out. And it looked like he was going to get out. The church was praying for him to get out. The brothers were wanting him to get out. And it didn't happen that he got out. So they went to the prison. They had a brief visit with him. And they just in tears said, we are so sorry. We were praying. We were fasting. We thought for sure you were going to get out. And the man looked at him and said, I don't want to get out. I'm just starting up another study. Guys, that's the gift of faith. I'm telling you right now, if I'm ever in prison, you guys better be praying around the clock to get me out, okay? There is a supernatural gift of faith that does not kick in until you need it. So if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, I, I don't know what I would do if somebody was threatening my life and said, deny Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what I would do if I was thrown in a situation and I had to do this or that. I don't know, I don't know what I would do either, but I know from reading about Paul and Silas and the other guys the gift of faith kicks in and you stop at that moment you realize, Lord, you're God and I trust you. And that's why Paul and Silas at midnight after being beaten, stripped and in the most inner prison are singing hymns and people are listening to them. That's why when I hear a testimony about parents losing children or, or suffering or disease or death or whatever and I hear these people on the radio or TV and I hear these testimonies and I say, I, I can never do that. You're right, at this moment I never could. But when the situation comes, guess what kicks in? The gift of faith. It's an amazing gift that God gives. So if God can give this supernatural gift of faith, man, why can't I just get through today? Because there's different types of faith. There is a supernatural gift of faith. But there's also just the faith that gets you through every day. Give us this day our daily bread. There was the faith that the Israelites for 40 years would wake up every morning and there would be manna waiting for them. There was the faith that the cloud would lead them, the pillar of fire would guide them. There was the faith that when they spoke to the rock, the water would come out. Just the daily needs to get through the day of faith. That's where we struggle with the most, is this day in, day out. Lord, help my unbelief increase my faith. But before we get into the day in, day out, let's stop here for a second. Let's make sure that we're all on the same page, laying the groundwork of what faith is, Hebrews chapter 11, understanding there is a supernatural gift of faith that can be given at the times in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But before we get into the day in, day out, faith of salvation, faith of living the life, anybody got any quick questions about anything here before we go on? We're good so far? Good. Right. Let's talk about the faith now that you use on a regular basis. Can you go with me now to Ephesians chapter 2? Please remember, it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is not seeing. 
God is going to allow you to be in situations where you do not know what the outcome is. And he'll stop and say, do you still trust me? But I think we have a tendency to forget the faith that comes in just getting saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works that any man should boast, for we are works and his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you realize you even getting saved is a gift from God that was faith? Think about that for a second. A saving faith. We have a supernatural faith. We've talked about that in 1 Corinthians 12, a gift. This is now, there's just a saving faith. I, I was not there when Christ died on the cross. I did not see the body into the tomb. I did not see the tomb empty. I did not see the resurrected Jesus. I did not see any of that. But I believe in faith that it happened. And that faith, I am saved by grace through faith that it did. If you're here tonight and you're born again, you're already walking in faith by believing that. Amen. You got that first step of faith down. The idea of saving faith that is so vitally important to us as Christians. Okay, now that we've understand saving faith, just jump ahead a couple books now to 1 Timothy chapter 1. So we've talked about gift of faith. We've talked about saving faith. Now let's talk about faith and ministry. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus. Our Lord, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Put this together. So faith that is in Christ now has called me, verse 12, and has enabled me, verse 12, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now there's faith in ministry. So I'm going to tell you just right here, right now, if you're one of those people that the Lord is asking you to go deeper and to do more, and you got every reason and excuse on why you're not, you're not walking in faith. Because what we just read right here in 1 Timothy God enables you. Look at verse 12. God enables you. He counted you faithful. He put you in the ministry. And according to verse 14, the grace is so exceedingly abundant, mixed with faith and love. It has absolutely nothing to do with you. Have you, have you seen this already? Your salvation has nothing to do with you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Nothing that you did. And now ministry is nothing about you. And it always amazes me when somebody feels the nudge to go deeper in the Lord, be it ministry or just, just go deeper, and they have a list of excuses. Why? Man, you're not walking in faith. Sometimes you just got to go and figure out the details later. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize you just jump in the deep end sometimes. You don't just, thank you. I don't know who said that, but thank you. The first person ever agreed with me on that. You just jump in. You don't test the waters sometimes. You don't see how, you just go. Because if God has called you to jump in the deep end, he's also going to take care of you. And it's going to work out. But if you sit there and you kind of stick your foot in the water and you check the temperature and you walk around and you see, and, man, you're losing the faith part of it. 
please understand the simplicity of this. Saving faith, Ephesians 2. Faith of ministry, 1 Timothy 1. Now, let's just be honest. What, what happens when I mess up, though? You're going to mess up. Completely mess up. And guess what? Jesus is not surprised by it when you mess up. Jesus speaking in Luke 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus said, Simon, you, you got a rough few days coming up here. Yeah, you're going to deny me. See, we go back to that whole, what would I do if my faith was put on the line and I wasn't strong and I denied him? You wouldn't believe how many people have come to over the years and, and just have a fear of that. That fear of, I would denounce him, I would deny him, whatever. My response always is, you mean just like Peter did? Peter did. And Jesus restored him. Jesus knew Satan's asking for Peter and that, you know what, you're going to be sifted like wheat, that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So even though I've been counted faithful and put in the ministry, I mess up regularly. I mess up as a husband. I mess up as a father. I mess up as a pastor. I mess up as a leader. I do. Aren't you thankful that it's God's faith that just restores us and brings us back? <sighs> Lord. So, does this mean I have absolutely no responsibility in any way whatsoever because it's a gift? God's given it to me. Romans 12, verse 3, that says, The Lord has given us a measure of faith. So, Lord, you give us the gift of great faith. Your faith is what has saved us through grace. Your faith has called us now into ministry. And even when I falter, you said you'll restore me. And according to Romans 12, verse 3, you give me a measure of faith. Aren't you thankful that I have absolutely nothing to do with this? Ah, but now we do. You don't need to turn there. It's one simple verse, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. There are things you can do to strengthen your faith muscle. I didn't do anything to get the muscles, but I can strengthen the muscles that God gave me. So if he's called me into the ministry, I can work out in the Lord to be a better pastor. I can work out to be a better husband. I can work out to be a better father. I can work out to be a better follower of Jesus Christ. Please understand that. Remember what it says in Philippians. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As we've said many times before, it's not work for your salvation. Your salvation is given to you by grace through faith. We've established that point. Any ministry I have is given to me through faith by grace. Anything is by the Lord. But I can take that gift and strengthen it in the Lord. And the first way I can strengthen is by Romans 10, 17, by being in God's word. Folks, I'm just asking you right now, how often are you in the word? If you want your faith to grow and go deeper, get in the word regularly. If God says that is how your faith is going to grow, why would you not want to be in this book as much as you possibly can? When I am reading this book, when I am understanding this book and grasping this book, my faith is growing. I'm learning about Old Testament saints that just did things I can't even imagine. I'm reading about New Testament saints. I'm reading about the nature of Jesus, and it just, I'm in it. When I'm in a place of fear, worry, and anxiety, I just start quoting verses. When I don't know what to do, I'm quoting verses. Because in faith, I believe this stuff works. 
I want to tell you right now, if you find yourself struggling with the day-in, day-out faith, get in the Word. Because faith comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God. What else can we do now? Now go with me to Luke 17, please. Follow with me the logic. We've established what faith is. Faith is believing when you don't see and you need it to please God, Hebrews 11. We've established that there's a supernatural gift of faith given at certain times. We saw that with Peter. We saw that with Paul. We saw that with Silas. We've established the fact that even my salvation is by grace through faith, Ephesians 2. We've established that any ministry we have is by grace through faith, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We've established that our faith will falter sometimes. God will restore us. We've established that we can take the muscles that God has given us, Philippians 1, and we can build on those muscles to make them stronger through God's word, Romans 10. Now look at the next way to increase your faith. How about Luke 17, verse 5? So the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Hey, how about that? Have you ever prayed for it? How simple. You want more faith? Ask God. I love that. Just ask Him. What did we just read in Mark chapter 9? If you believe all things are possible, what did the Father say? Lord, help my unbelief. What a great prayer. Lord, my faith is faltering and I'm weak. I need more faith. Lord, increase my faith. How does Jesus say to increase our faith? Then look at verse 6. The Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, When he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will you not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Oh, guys, these are some good verses. I hope you're excited. I like this. Okay. Verse 5, we pray for our faith to increase. Verse 6, here's your first step for your faith increasing. Verse 6, faith of the mustard seed. Please note, God doesn't care much about the amount. Just have some. Even the littlest amount of faith he can work with. Some of you are waiting for every single thing to be worked out perfectly. You want every I dotted, you want every T crossed, you want the map laid out perfectly, and then you're going to walk in faith. It doesn't work that way. You just jump. If God says go, you just go. The faith of a mustard seed. The tiniest amount of saying, Lord, I just trust you. What's the next step to see your faith grow? Verse 6, root some things. What do you have planted in your life that you need rooted out? I think it's fascinating to use this idea of a mulberry tree that has this extensive roots. He's saying there are things that need to be pulled out that are so entrenched into your life, so grounded into your life, that you, you don't think it will ever move. You have excuse. I, I can't teach. Why? Oh, I, I can't. I would, it would freak me out to be in front of people. I can't witness. Why? Because I'll say the wrong things. I can't serve in that area. Why? Oh, I don't have time. I can't do this. Why? Well, because of this. We just always have these deep-rooted excuses on why we can't. And Jesus is saying in verse 6, rip the roots out, folks. Hebrews 12 tells us that things can get rooted into our life. They can get rooted. And some of you have been walking with the Lord for a while, or you've reached a point in life and I tell you, you know that phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Boy, folks, never get so 
so solid like that that the Lord can't use you. Some of my favorite people I've ever met are much older in life. They may be in their 80s and their 90s, and they still are just saying, Lord, whatever you want, do it. You know what the flip side is? You reach that person that's reaching age in life, and I'm too old for this. Oh, man. God can't use you. You're so rooted into things that you already know what you'll say no to. You already know what you'll say yes to. Don't do that. Don't. Be willing to have the roots pulled up in verse 6 and just say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. It may not make sense. So we pray for it, verse 5. We just want the smallest amount God will work with, verse 6. Verse 6, we realize things have to be rooted up. And then guess what we do, verse 7. You go out there and you sweat. Look at the two examples he used of working in verse 7. Plowing and tending sheep. You realize how much work it was to plow back during Bible times? I remember growing up on a farm when Dad would have me go work ground. They had a 70-30, Alice Chalmers. We'd go out there and we'd work ground. And you know what? It had a radio and it had air conditioning. I didn't have to have any horsepower in any way whatsoever. The tractor did all the work. You go back during Bible times, yeah, you may have a couple oxen pulling that plow. You're out there in the sun. You're not in the air conditioning. And you're trying to keep that plow straight. You're trying to keep animals... You are working hard. Next one, seven, tending sheep. Grew up on a farm. We had sheep. It's a lot of work to take care of sheep. I love you guys. I'm a pastor of a lot of sheep. It's a lot of work to take care of you sheep. (laughs) Tending sheep is a lot of work. I think it's fascinating that the two jobs he picked in verse 7 are sweaty, difficult jobs. Man. We always want to be a missionary to the upper middle class. And God says, no, I want you out there in the field sweating. I want you out there with the sheep. Then guess what happens? You work hard, and you come in in verse 8, and guess what happens? Hey, go do more. Prepare something for my supper. Gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Do you realize how much we get a misdiagnosis of God? We do something for the Lord and we, sit there, we think that God up in heaven is saying, Oh, James, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, James, so much for being willing to do that. I appreciate that so much. You don't see that in the Bible. What you see is this, verse 10, the unprofitable servant. You do what you're asked to do, you don't complain about it, and you just go do it. We've lost that. If we don't get the public accolades, we don't want to do it. If we're not going to get a whole bunch of likes online, we're not going to talk about it. We do it for everybody's pat on the back. And now here's the thing. I've been out here for 20 plus years. I've run into people that are willing to do anything for the kingdom as long as they get the public pat on the back. And you know what Jesus said about those people? Give them the pat on the back. They just got their praise. They got their reward. They will. They'll do anything as long as they get the recognition. But I tell you, the ones that are out there plowing and tending sheep and never ask for a thank you, those are the ones that God says, that's my servant right there. They're just willing to do it. Why is this in here? I think there's two reasons why it's in here. The first one I give credit to Betsy Betts for because she's the one, first one I ever heard really explain this, I thought, I got this. 
so often, one time we were going through this passage, and she was just talking, and she said, you know, Jamie, there's so many people that sit there, and they're like, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And we spend so much time in what did to do, and she quoted this, and she says, I'm just an unprofitable servant. Verse 10, it is my duty, I'm just going to do it. God says, do it, I'm just doing it. Please don't waste so much time and just saying, Lord, should I, should I, should I? Seek the Lord, let the Lord lead. Some of you just know you're supposed to do it. Luke 17, verse 10 is for you. I am an unprofitable servant. I have done what is my duty to do. It needs done, I'm going to do it. That's what it comes down to. It needs done, I'm going to do it. God, you've called me, go. Number two, why is this in here? Because we have a tendency to think that if I do something for the Lord, God owes me a thank you. Go back to everything we've established earlier this evening. My salvation is grace through faith. Me being in the ministry is grace through faith. Getting through a day is grace through faith. God owes me no thank you. Whatever I do, I'm doing it just as a servant to him because he's all the one that's given me the grace and the faith to do it. Do I honestly believe that there is something I am doing by my own power and ability where God up in heaven has to stop and say, wow, James, I'm really proud of you. I couldn't have done that without you. Thank you. What an arrogant, prideful fault. I am, verse 10, an unprofitable servant, and I have done what is my duty to do through God's grace and through God's faith. That's what it comes down to. If that sounds unloving, if that sounds uncaring, you're completely misunderstanding it. God is trying to remind us that it has absolutely nothing to do with us. Every single person in the body of Christ is replaceable. The Holy Spirit will raise up somebody. I tell you, I have learned over the years, when somebody has stepped down from a position, I used to be like, oh man, what are we going to do? God's just going to reload with another person filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. Why? Because we are unprofitable servants doing what is our duty to do. Please, please remember that. So when we say increase our faith, verse 5, Jesus says, sure, I'll take the smallest amount you got, verse 6. You start rooting up stuff that needs to be rooted out because it's causing an issue. Verse 7, get out there plowing, get out there taking care of the sheep, and please remember in verses 8, 9, and through 10, it's only through me that you can do anything and your faith will increase. Because what happens is if I think it's me, then I sit and I analyze it. Oh, I don't know if I can do this, Lord. God already knows I can't do it. That's why he's called me, because he's going to give me the faith to do it, because it all comes through him. All right. Can you go with me now? 1 Corinthians 11? We're going to get ready to finish this up. Any quick questions about anything here thus far before we go in here? I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Good? Okay. 1 Corinthians 11. Step number three on how you can increase your faith. First step was God's word, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. Second step on increasing your faith, Luke 17, verse 5. Ask for it. Third step on increasing your faith, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord, verse 23, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Third step in increasing your faith. Remember. Remember. 
Remember, if you go read, and if you want a little bit of homework tonight, go read Psalm 106. It lists all the things that God did bringing out the nation of Israel. And then right in the middle of that psalm, verse 13, it just very sadly says, and they forgot his works. If you have your faith faltering, are you constantly reminding yourself of what God has done in the past? That's why communion is so vitally important. Do this in remembrance of me. I shared with you a message that I heard from uh, um, Charles Spurgeon a while ago where he hit this verse really hard, and he said, how sad is it that Jesus had to say, hey, remember me? Because that's the idea that we could forget it. Man, have you ever done that? You kind of forgot what Jesus did for you? I mean, you, you don't forget your favorite TV show. You don't forget to eat, folks. You don't forget that the yard needs mowed. You don't forget to pay your bills. You don't forget you got to be at work tomorrow. But you forget what Jesus Christ did for you. That's why Jesus has to tell us, don't forget me. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, that's sad, isn't it? That our faith can become so weak so quick that the God of the universe has to tell us, not only in 1 Corinthians 11, but also in the Gospel accounts of the Last Supper, guys, don't forget me. Do this in remembrance of me. If you want your faith to increase, learn to not forget what Christ has done for you. Because when you realize what Christ has done for you, he's already proven himself. I got this thing I've told you before that God did something really big in my life one time, and I just replay it in my mind all the time. If I'm going and doing something that I feel is above me, and I don't mean above me like I'm a sir, I'm just saying it's just, Lord, this is too much for me. I just, oh, you did that, Lord. Boom, he takes care of it. Remind yourself constantly what God has done. Make a book of remembrance. I've told you about a memorial stones where you write down what the Lord has done. Make prayer requests. I love going back and looking over my prayer request list and putting little check marks beside them. God answered it. It reminds you what God has done. There's a reason why God had all these feasts. Have you ever thought about all the feasts that the Jews had? Passover, unleavened bread, feast of weeks, tabernacle. I mean, we can go down the list. Constantly there to remind them what God did. Feast of Tabernacles. Hey, Jews, you're going to go outside and build a little tent out of a tree and sleep outside. Why? To remember what the Lord did for 40 years. He had to remind them. So, let's finish this up. Mark 9. Lord, help my unbelief. An honest prayer. Faith is believing without seeing, and it's necessary to please him. Hebrews chapter 11. There is a gift of faith, 1 Corinthians 12, that is amazing that God will give you at the moment that you need it. The faith and grace that saved you, Ephesians 2. The faith and grace that put you in the ministry, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Your faith will falter, but God will restore you, Luke chapter 22. You can help increase the faith that God gave you, not your faith you've earned, not your faith that you've worked for, the faith that God gave you, because Romans 12, 3 says he's given you a measure of faith. You can work that faith out by being in the word, Romans 10, 17. By asking for more, Luke chapter 17. And you can realize that as you go out and ask and you go out there and pull up those weeds and plow and with the sheep that God increases your faith and then always remember to not forget 1 Corinthians 11. Don't forget his work, Psalm 106. Watch your faith grow. Your faith growing is a lot like working out. When you start, 
it hurts really bad. And to be quite honest, most of us quit. But then all of a sudden, over days, weeks, and months, just like when you work out, you look in the mirror and you realize, I physically changed. All of a sudden, when you work out your faith, you look out over days, weeks, and months in the spiritual mirror of life, and you say, Lord, I've changed through you. Folks, the only way to increase your faith is to go through things that increase your faith. So if you really are here tonight and you're really saying, Lord, take me deeper and you increase my faith, you've got to be willing to jump in the deep end sometimes. Oh, man, you'll be blessed. Because Hebrews 11 says what? He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's an amazing blessing. All right, almost 8 o'clock. Any final questions here about anything before we close up um, that we can answer? Yeah, John. I think he said, I would read more, pray more, and spend more time with my wife, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, you will never waste a moment being in God's Word. You can waste a moment doing a lot of things, but not being in God's Word. Boy, I tell you guys, your faith grows by being in the Word. Anybody else have any final questions about anything here before we close up? All right. Let's stand. I just heard some sirens go by, so let's pray for that. But... Um, you know what, folks? It's, it's easy to hear a message like this tonight and say, yeah, Lord, I want that. Increase my faith. Be prepared, folks. I don't know what that looks like for you. Don't be afraid to jump in the deep end and see what it is. Let's pray. Lord, those sirens, we don't know what's going on. Your hand of health, your hand of safety, your hand of peace to be upon whatever that situation is right now. Thank you for that. Lord, just thinking of situations going on right now, um, I just think of Jim Burns, your continued hand of health. I think of little Olivia Johnson, your continued hand of health upon her. Um, think of Liz just uh, recovering up in Toledo. I think of Jody Hoagland recovering as well. Just these people that are, are physically battling in the name of Jesus should be with them. But for right here, right now, increase our faith. Help us to walk in faith, to trust you in faith. You're such a good God, Lord. If there's someone here tonight that in faith is struggling with something, increase their faith, Lord. Let them work out those muscles to grow and go deeper in you. In your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, hey, you guys have a good week and God bless.